eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz are with you. Welcoming in December and fittingly, snow is falling outside my window here in Happy Valley. Sean, for the first time in a long time, we get to talk about a game week that follows a Penn State win. Um, a long time coming for a lot of fans out there. I know it was uh, pretty sweet to savor that a bit on Saturday afternoon, specifically the way that Penn State did it with complimentary football, as we talked about in the postgame podcast, getting it done with their best performance on the ground. No turnovers over the course of the contest. We will dive into some of the details and some of the trends that were reversed that put Penn State in the win column. We've got some depth chart adjustments to focus in on as well and some injury updates. But uh, Sean, first off, it's just nice not to say let's flush it because that's kind of been the theme of these Tuesday shows. We always end, uh, it feels like, the conversation with let's flush that one and focus on the next. You You can actually kind of enjoy looking back to the win over Michigan if you let yourself do it. Yeah, let's revel in it if we need to. I mean, that's basically uh, just coming out of the, the last week, just as I said in the post game, everything just kind of feels better. And uh, it was funny when when Franklin was doing his press conference earlier today, he went with the players of the week. And I was like, oh man, I, I had forgotten all about the players of the week. We, we You know, you see the scout team every week and you don't really think about it. And Penn State doesn't do it when they lose. Uh, now all of a sudden you've got players of the week to talk about. And I was like, wow, okay, this is this this starting starting to feel a little bit more normal obviously uh nobody's getting too comfortable but uh you know it's 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 nice to see some signs of regularity uh coming from the program right now offensively no surprise here Kevon Lee gets the nod for Penn State big day for him on the ground big day for Penn State on the ground as a whole and I think that just kind of really opened up everything else for them and I, I mean that's no secret watching that game especially watching just the first drive was just kind of okay there's holes there you're hitting you know you're, you're, you're falling forward you're doing what you need to do just kind of opens up everything defensively PJ Mustafer gets the nod special teams Drew Hartlob had the takeaway no arguments there but uh, we move on from that and sort of circle back around to Kevon Lee because as James Franklin said on Tuesday afternoon Devin Ford back with the team he missed last week because of a you know a personal family issue and I hope everything's okay there but it presents an interesting question I mean Ford obviously was not the most effective guy uh, when you talk about what Penn State was looking to do on the ground I think it's clear that Kevon Lee kind of fits more what they're trying to do at least this year before they get I think the rest of their running game in with the offense and now all of a sudden Ford's back do you still roll with the hot hand of Kevon Lee I mean I would think that they better I mean I think and this is the thing 
you know, uh, it's certainly discussed on our message board at, at length uh, when you consider James Franklin's sort of loyalty to older players and things like that. And everybody's going to talk Koa and Micah, and that's really where it gravitates to. But at running back, I think he's done a good job of spreading it around. We saw last year there was the rotation, but once Journey Brown took off, you know, he did some, you know, he was kind of the guy, Noah Kane before he got hurt, we kind of leaned on him a little bit more. So I think he's done it at running back a little bit more. And I can, I, I expect that to continue with the, the way that Kevon Lee was carrying the ball last week. I think Rutgers can be run on. So Kevon Lee with 22 carries last week after having 19 going into the game, I think you got to, you know, continue and sort of ride that as long as you can and ride that while he's, while he's being productive. That shirt we see Penn State players wear in their off-season settings and some of the workout stuff we have access to, or at least had access to before things changed, uh, Maximize the Moment is on that shirt. And that's exactly what Kevon Lee did on Saturday with those 22 carries, 134 yards, scored for the third consecutive game. It set the tone early with that nice offensive possession and, and kind of shook off the, the familiar trends that we had been accustomed to seeing with the Nittany Lions where they're getting in these early holes. The offense doesn't play well. The defense finds itself in a tough spot and all of a sudden you're down by a couple possessions before you can really catch your breath. His touchdown, his his ability to go and help move the chains early in this game, you know, then at the end, moving them in it for a different reason to close out the game. Uh, really nice, nice effort from Kevon Lee, who's, you know, all of a sudden leading all Penn State running backs with 227 rushing yards, as you said, fewer than 20 carries coming into the week six matchup. So uh, that kind of reflects on where the Penn State running back room is. But uh, he has found some rhythm here. He he impressed uh, in Nebraska. No running back really impressed against Iowa. Uh, but but this past week, it was his show and uh, was Big Ten freshman of the week. That, that's, that's some pretty serious accolades in your first career college start. And oh, by the way, uh, the most rushing yards for a Penn State freshman since 2015 when Saquon Barkley went for nearly 200 against Ohio State, really setting up the stage for what was going to be a prolific career uh, for number 26 at Penn State. Uh, Kevon Lee, you got to imagine that regardless of whether Devin Ford is is the guy who gets that first rep at running back, we're going to see a lot of him. I, I, I would probably lean towards anticipating him getting the bulk of the carries. I'm not saying 70% of all carries that got out of the backfield, but I could see him leading the way for that group. And, and I think you're right against this Rutgers team. There, there's an opportunity to do so. Um, and I, and I think Kevon Lee, you see the or, or designation at de, on the depth chart now with him and, and Devin Ford, followed by Keziah Holmes. Um, you know, he has earned it. And, and it's also a backfield where you're, you're down your top two guys. Last week, you're down your top three guys. Um, and that is where the recruiting is paying off because there's a lot of, of situations across college football where you'd be in much dire circumstances. And this Penn State running back room is now at a stage of its development and progression where J1 Sider had a hand in recruiting and evaluating and, and kind of measuring up these guys when they were high school prospects. Did he want them in his room? He's, he's a guy who likes to go through that process, learn about their mental makeup as well, if they're going to be ready for big moments. And uh, he has had a hand in getting everybody on board here. Journey Brown was the one exception in this room, but I think you can also give J1 Sider a lot of credit for bringing Journey Brown along. These are his guys, and, and you know he, he's we heard him earlier, some hesitancy about where they are from a fundamental standpoint, but when you got no other options, uh, you got to see what you have. And, and Kevon Lee uh, came up with with a really outstanding effort. First five weeks of the season, Penn State running backs averaged 4.29 yards per carry, 
on Saturday, it was 5.25. And that was even, you know, because Aya Holmes had 10 carries for 34 yards and he did a couple of nice things, but obviously Lee was the the standard there. So um, one yard may not seem like a lot, but uh, it, it makes a big difference in terms of staying on schedule. And that's something Penn State did fairly well against Michigan. Then they were able to convert, I think, five out of seven third and shorts, which was big, especially when you take into account uh, Michigan without penalties, uh, two out of 10 on third downs on Saturday. So just kind of opens up everyone. When you when you got that running game going with those backs, uh, you know you, you have to fear. Uh, I guess we'll call it, we'll say fear Sean Clifford's running ability. You know, obviously, he's broken some big ones and and really some game changing uh, you know runs last week against Michigan, including the big touchdown. So opens up everything. It's going to open up some of the short impa- short passing game. And you know because of what you do with that short passing game, you just get the ball out to the receivers quickly. Spreads out the defense, open things up. It's kind of like that vicious circle. It just co- keeps coming back around. If you're throwing those pops to, to Parker Washington on the line of scrimmage, somebody's going to have to account for him. It's going to take a man out of the box. And Kevon Lee, as he's shown, uh, really, really good at running inside those tackles. So um, encourage what we saw with the running game. Obviously, it's not uh, something that's completely fixed. Or I, I should say that about the entire team right now. You know, winning is good, but it, you know, it does does cover up some warts. Uh, so I, I think it's it, it's a positive moving forward. And I think you got to ride with Kevon Lee and and just keep going with what you're doing. And and it, the interesting thing to me, and I said this, I think in the post game podcast is, you know, if you're going to ride Lee, that's fine. You know, 20 carries or whatever, 22 on Saturday. Um, Devin Ford can still have a role, and I think based on what we've seen from him sort of that complimentary change of pace type guy may be something where he might get more out of having five carries than he gets out of having 15 carries. And isn't that exactly the kind of conversation that we had last spring into the summer, into October is Devin Ford. Don't overlook him. He's going to be a really strong complimentary piece to what maybe Penn State wants to do with this offensive attack. But because you had Noah Kane and Journey Brown, doesn't need to be the guy that touches it 15 times. He has the receiving skills. He has a little bit of wiggle on the perimeter. Um, you know, this year, one thing you haven't seen from Devin, uh, as, uh, I think you've seen it a little bit here and there, but not consistently, which we got from Kevin Lee, uh, Kevon Lee on Saturday, is being able to break those tackles, fall forward. That's been a bit of an issue for that entire backfield, really outside of, of Will Levis and, and, and Kevon Lee. Now, two-thirds of the way through this season, assuming there is that Week 9 matchup still with the, the Big Ten Championship week, Sean Clifford is the leading overall rusher for these Penn State Nittany Lions with 255 yards on the ground. Had another big performance with his legs at Michigan. Uh, set up a couple touchdowns, including one that he put in himself um, with some big runs. But Sean, it's more about the turnover numbers than it is about the rushing statistics for Sean Clifford when we evaluate his journey here in 2020. I mentioned that or designation now being placed in between Kevon Lee and, and Devin Ford at the top of the running back depth chart. Well, now there's no longer the or. It was a short-lived or between Will Levis and Sean Clifford. Seems like uh, th- there's there's clarity this week. There's not any questions about who the starting quarterback is. But uh, based on the track record here, five games versus the one game we just saw, I still think the benefit of the doubt still needs to be earned week by week from Sean Clifford in that decision-making process. And if you've watched any Rutgers football this year, and if you've watched any kind of Shiano-led defenses, uh, they they can take advantage of your mistakes, and, and they can turn that and flip that against you. Um, and, and they're they're a team that is hungry for any sort of momentum and has been able to ride some momentum. So you don't want to kind of hand that over to them over the course of this matchup on Saturday. If you can play protective football, I really like Penn State's opportunity um, on Saturday to pick up a second win in a row but you know you, you got to make sure Sean Clifford does not revert back to form and by the way I know we had some strong reaction here 
he came in hot uh, into that post-game press conference. It's something that we didn't mention on our post-game pro- podcast, but you could tell he has uh, he's always been a bit of a chip-on-the-shoulder kind of kid, not to the level that Trace McSorley always was, but that chip has become a lot bigger, and whether you hate it or love it, it's something that uh, that he's going to be carrying forward for, uh, for a while, and uh, he sounded like a guy who was not lacking for confidence, maybe cocky, um, and that may be a little much for, for really his first complete game of the year in terms of protecting the football and uh but uh <laughs> he came in hot that, that's what I'll say about Sean Clifford and 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 you and if you're a Penn State fan you hope that's a signal that that he has turned a corner uh moving forward for the rest of the season well you hope so I mean I, I don't know what you really get out from that other than you know blowing off some steam and I'm sure it's been a frustrating year for him um and you know and a lot of that as we said before has been squarely on him and that's not Really, you know, you can you can talk about the new offense, you can talk about breaking in receivers and everything like that. But when you're throwing balls like you threw, you know, for example, the Nebraska pick, I mean, that's that's squarely on Sean Clifford, and that's something that you know it's going to build up and build up and build up. So he goes on the road, gets a win at Michigan. You got you got to give him credit for that. He's, he protected the football and this team, you know, just very different. And I understand Michigan, the situation that they're in, not a very good football team, not really playing um, their best ball. But at the same time, this team. This Penn State team, when they take care of the football, when Sean Clifford takes care of the football, you know, you can do some positive things. And, you, you know, all of a sudden you have a little bit of hope moving toward the end of the season. Going back to that, again, you can't act like everything is fixed. You can't act like everything is good at the quarterback position. And that's something that you're over the last couple of games, you can't you can't just block out those first five games of the season. And that's not just Clifford. That's Levis. That's everybody. You know, it's just everybody's got to you know, take into account the entire body of work. And when you do that, when we look at that after the season, that's there's going to be some serious questions there. Do you think there's it's feasible in any way, shape, or form, uh, whether Sean Clifford finishes this season on an absolute tear or not? And he wasn't on an absolute tear. This was more about him protecting that football, coming up with some big runs. This was not leaning on Sean Clifford to go win you the game. Uh, at Michigan, but if he if he's able to put together here a string of three, I don't know what the bull situation has is going to be. I've been saying that for a while. I'm not really buying into the bull situation this year. But if he finishes this season as strong as we've ever seen him on the football field for Penn State, even I just don't know if he's even in that case would enter the offseason as yeah he's our clear starter for 2021. Um, I, I just, I don't know that you can really r- erase what we've seen through those first five games. We've talked about the transfer portal. We've talked about some of the younger guys. You got Will Levis. You've gotten a little bit of look at him at now. Um, I, I mean, do you see any way that Sean Clifford can do enough down the stretch of this 2020 season to go into to this winter with us saying, well, there's your starting quarterback for Penn State in 2021. It just feels like there's there's bound to be another competition whenever they get back on the field. I mean, give, given where you want this program to be, I would hope not. I mean, you, you just look, it was so bad over those first five weeks and the turnover numbers are still, you know, I mean, they're just staring you in the face. So if that happens, I think it's probably more of an indictment on Franklin and, you know, the loyalty aspect and things like that. I mean, he was, a, he was able to, you know, hook him once and put in Levis and then, you know, came back around. And and like I said, he, he's earned the benefit of the doubt for another week. But I think that's really where it needs to stop. I mean, you've got to, you know, keep earning it, keep going out. And, you know, a stat that I pulled up this week in my stats piece is he's got three games completing over 60% of his pass in the last 13 starts. I mean, that's not, that's not very 
good. And that's not something that they can have. And, you know, I know sometimes stats are kind of misleading, but, you know, you're looking at games in the, in the forties and, you know, even I think below that. And it's just, uh, that's not going to get it done. So when you take into account, uh, you know, where he was at this weekend, it's great to get that win. It's great to get on in, in moving in that direction, but at the same time, you can't ignore the rest of it. And that's something that they're going to have to discuss in the offseason. Well, it's nice to see some emerging talent around him. We don't know what Jahan Dotson's future will hold. He, he's opened up some new opportunities for him, but whoever the quarterback is in 2021, you, you're, you're learning more about these young running backs. You certainly love what you're seeing right now from Parker Washington, who put up a very rare performance as a true freshman on the road at Michigan on Saturday with those nine receptions and uh, a lot, of, lot to like about that tight end room as well. Um Sean, moving to the defensive side of the football, some unfortunate news coming from the Tuesday press conference with James Franklin. Um, after learning that it sounds like Devin Ford will be available this week, we learned that Charlie Catchier, a uh, second-team linebacker on the Penn State uh, linebacker group, not going to be available for the remainder of this season. Uh, Charlie Catchier, an in-state signee in, in 2018 class, part of that big Pennsylvania class that they signed, uh, dealt with those injury issues, some shoulder issues coming out of high school, brought some of those to campus with him. And it's just been, it's been an uphill battle for Charlie Catch here, who seemed to, to find some, some traction in his career over the course of 2020, he got into some game action earlier this year. Um, but, but now being shut down for the rest of the year. And, and, you know, it's just one of those situations where, uh, you just wonder if it's going to work out for, for the kid because of these medical setbacks. There's only so much that's actually within your control in a situation like this. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, just bummer to hear that regarding Charlie Catcher. Yeah, he came in with that shoulder injury uh, out of high school, and those things are they're tricky. Um, you know, redshirted the first year. I think he, he was banged up a little bit as a, as a uh, redshirt. Um, tw- played in 12 games last year. Didn't really break into the linebacker rotation at all, but played in special teams with one of your core special teamers. Um, unfortunately, just bit him again. He, he had an injury to his leg um, in camp, and that kind of set him behind the eight ball. He, he moved from Sam to Will to, to Mike. So it really never been a true spot for him and you know the the times that we've seen him you know he's flashed a little bit but it's it's been tough to uh just stay consistent when you can't stay healthy and that's really doesn't have a big change on a game-to-game basis in terms of Penn State's linebackers but uh you know I think that that's that's unfortunate for Charlie I think you know I think the world of Charlie is a player I just going back into high school you just always seemed like a guy that would be a you know probably a two or three year starter in college and and just be one of those solid guys and you know I, I know some people in the program had some high hopes Brent Pry was really big on him during the off season, but you know if you can't stay healthy, can't keep the shoulders, and it's it's tough to it's it's really tough to get there. So unfortunately, that's where they're at, and that's kind of where they're at at linebacker as a whole, uh, given the way that the schedule has played out. Not so much that you know you can't find time for some of these these younger linebackers, but when every game is, you know, you're playing from behind or you're playing in a tight game, you know, against Indiana or against Ohio State or something like that, you can't get these younger guys into play. And that's one thing that I thought that we would see a little bit more experimentation this year, especially given the the, the circumstances um, with maybe a guy like Zariah Fisher, a guy like Tyler Elston, just getting them some snaps. Now, both of those guys did travel to Michigan over the weekend, but I uh, haven't seen either of those guys, those guys step on the field, if I'm re- remembering correctly. Still have a lot of confidence in Curtis Jacobs, even though he didn't play a ton on Saturday. Still working through some some things with uh, you know that entire depth chart from top to bottom. You're just really not sure what you're going to get on a game to game basis. So uh, I don't think there's been uh, a ton of uh, advancement, development, whatever you want to call it, at linebacker, and that's really been an unfortunate casualty of the of the situation that they're in this year. 
Cat Shear was the only scholarship member of this linebacker unit in 2020 who was not considered a four-star or a five-star prospect by 24-7 Sports. He was a three-star. We've talked about it before, even with Parsons leaving three other former five-stars by 24-7 Sports recognition. Ellis Brooks, Jesse Lucchetta, uh evaluated as four-stars. The talent, um, you know, talent is there. Um, haven't necessarily seen that position take the step that we had hoped it may over the course of this year with or without Parsons. Um, a few more games to go, uh, and, and we'll see what the conversation looks like going into the offseason. Uh, and, and what we think about those starting jobs and, and what might need to be mixed and matched. But uh, we'll, we'll hope that for his sake, Charlie Catcher is part of that conversation. We do not know the specifics as you would expect. Um, we do not know uh, what part of his body is banged up, and we don't know what the timetable for his return uh, to full contact football looks like. Those aren't the details that we will get in these press conference situations. But uh, when James Franklin has a season-ending injury to notify us about, he, he will typically let us know on that when it's a week-to-week deal. Uh, a lot more, t- a lot tougher to get information, and that's been the case, Sean, uh, going over to the cornerback spot. Um, because that's been a, a bit of a revolving door in the starting lineup of late. You saw, you know, Tariq Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. locked in as your starters at cornerback for, for the first uh, four, uh, first three games of this season. Uh, Tariq Castro Fields leaves early against Maryland, and he has not been back on the field during game action since. He has traveled with the team to Nebraska, to Michigan, and and during both those occasions, just as he did at home against Iowa, he was in full uniform, participating through at least the first portions of pregame drills. So whether they're looking for him to maybe flash and show something during pregame and uh, the medical staff is gauging where he's at and the coaching staff is gauging whether he can fill those roles, they haven't seen or he hasn't felt like he's up to that task through the last three games. Without him, you had Keaton Ellis, a sophomore, starting back-to-back games Turns out he was not available, uh, apparently, on Saturday against Michigan, which bumped Marquise Wilson into making his first college start um, as a sophomore. So <laughs> they were down to to two redshirt freshmen, Joey Porter Jr. and uh, and uh, Daquan Hardy, and then a sophomore making his first start, Marquise Wilson. Those are the only three cornerbacks who played against the Wolverines. Yeah, it's been a revolving door, hasn't it? It's been one of those things where you don't know going up into game time. And even, you know, when, when you're playing the game, is Keaton Ellis going to get in there? Is Tariq Castro feels going to be ready to go this week? And how much are we going to see? You know, Hardy struggled at times, uh, especially in the Maryland game. So it's been a real revolving door. What, what's interesting is it hasn't been bad. I mean, that's the thing with, with corn. I mean, with safety, you can point out, you know, in, instances where, you know, they've certainly struggled. You could say that about the linebackers, defensive tackles, but the corners as a whole, you know, whoever's been in there has been fine. And and this isn't a schedule that's going to really light you up as, as a passing game, especially the last couple of weeks with Iowa and Michigan. Um, but still, I mean, you've got, uh, I think you've gotten solid production, especially from Porter has been pretty, pretty consistent over there. Castro Fields was, was, was pretty good when he was out there. It's just uh, other areas of the defense really haven't come along the way that you thought they may have. So uh, having said that, yeah, there's plenty of issues around there. So it's kind of, uh, getting you're splitting hairs while you're out there. It's is it the corner's fault? Is it the safety's fault? I and mean, we talked about that all last year. Um, they, James Franklin said they've done some cross training with the safeties. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And you know, what does Penn State have four or five guys at corner? And does that even matter? You know, personally, I like to see a little bit. You know, and, and this is sort of bleeding over to safeties. I'd like to see a little bit more of J- Jair Brown. Um, saw some some flashes from him. He looks like he can you know really move around back there in the secondary. Um, you know, I'm not sure what it's going to look like against Rutgers because they, you know, try and do some, some multiple things on, on offense, but 
it's uh, it's a situation where you're getting to that point in the season. You want to see some more of some guys, and Jair Brown kind of jumps out at me. I know he's not a corner, but he kind of jumps out at me as a guy that can potentially help you out in the secondary. Yeah, I love that you wrote his name down because I, I think the same way. The name that you would initially gravitate toward naturally with this conversation would be Trent Gordon. He's in the transfer portal. I don't think he was healthy anyways, but you know, a guy who played cornerback here early in his career, transitioned to safety this year. Um, the, now, going back to cornerback quickly, Franklin says they do believe they'll have four, maybe five cornerbacks available against Rutgers. So that leads you to believe that either Keaton Ellis and or um, Tariq Castrofield is going to be ready to play football uh, here in, in the seventh game of the season. The, the one name that we're not talking about, and, and I think you referenced it early when he came in, that there may have been some injury issues. I mean, I don't know where this leaves Joseph Johnson, um, the, the freshman, uh, a kid who was evaluated as a four-star coming in. We had him on the podcast, a lot of length there. Really like his long-term potential at cornerback. I guess that leads us to believe that, that he's not available right now either because Franklin was pretty specific on having three guys, and we saw those three three guys. Um, so uh, that's the one other name I wanted to, to throw in there because they only signed one uh, cornerback coming off of a four player class at that position in 2019. That was Johnson. Um, so just also one other kind of nugget to, to kind of include in that discussion, I suppose. Yeah. And I, it looks like I just checked the roster to see if Gordon was still on there. It looks like Joseph Johnson has taken over his number 17. So big news there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see Johnson being a guy that uh, really has an effect uh, on, on this, this team right now. As I I said, I mean, the, the guys that have been out there have been fine. Uh, I thought Hardy did some nice things on Saturday. Um, obviously, he got beat for the big the big pass up top, but um, you know, I think uh, he's come along a little bit. So, I, I, where that leaves you on Saturday, it's hard to say. I'd like to see, you know, you, you want to see all those guys back and healthy because I, I think what they've showed you this year is, you know, a lot of that stuff that they said uh, that was said about them in the offseason has been pretty accurate. I mean, you've got a lot of length, you've got a lot of speed, you've got guys that out there that, you know, can, can hang. And I think as you continue to see that mature and you continue to see those guys develop, it, you're going to see, keep seeing good things at, uh, at corner. So really no, not, not a ton of issues with, with the cornerback play this far. It's just, I'd like to see them all in the field. And that's a testament again to that 2019 cornerback class that Penn State signed. That was all that class on the field against Michigan. All three players, you got Keaton Ellis out of that group as well. We've discussed before, um, you know, 2018, you have no defensive backs left from that group. There's been different positional units year after year. Wide receiver particularly been kind of decimated over years and you didn't get much out of a class. I don't know if you can ask for more out of one singular position class than what Penn State appears to have on their hands from that 2019 cornerback group. Um, and we're seeing it, you know, front and center right now on the road uh, against Michigan coming away with a 10 point win. Um, we're going to shift our conversation back over to the offense for Penn State following some success on the ground. Does that open some new things up for them? How can they change it up in the red zone uh, where it has not been working at, at full effect for the Nittany Lions for these first six matchups of the season? We'll also dive in a little bit of recruiting and our five-star mailbag. Stay with us right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. A few weeks ago, uh, Sean put together kind of the anatomy of bad numbers for Penn State and why they were winless and kind of explaining some trends that were obviously leading toward defeats and, and very much kind of countering what we had seen in recent years from the Nittany Lions. One of the one of those that stood out majorly was the lack of touchdown produced in red zone situations. This is a program at Penn State that over the last three years was over 70% at reaching the end zone with a touchdown on their trips to the red zone. Uh, that number right now is at 44%. They got a couple touchdowns um, last week against last Saturday against Michigan. Um, a little bit left to be desired, though, I would say, certainly at the end of the first half. And uh, before we get into the conversation about red zone, James Franklin confirmed Tuesday, Sean, the call for the spike on first down uh, with about 30 seconds to go in that second quarter, first and goal from the five-yard line. Spike call came from the sideline, according to Franklin. So uh, him and his staff, he's putting that one on their staff, not necessarily on Sean Clifford. Um, so I, I know that was one that, that people were not happy to see the, the settle for Jake Pinnaker kicking a field goal when you take one opportunity for a, a play toward the end zone off the board by spiking it. You take that one, and then you also factor in they took a knee inside the red zone. So uh, take that knee away, and they got points out of each red zone visit. They were 50% on getting touchdowns out of it. Um, and, and But the, the, the common refrain here is, why all the fades? And that's just something you hear from everybody. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. What's interesting is is they've worked in the past, and you've you've had Deshaun Hamilton. The smash fade was very big for him. KJ Hamler, they did it sometimes. It's just something that they've they've gone to way too often. And that's you know it, it, you want to throw an occasional one in there, fine. I uh, wouldn't completely toss it out of the playbook. James Franklin said they've had success with it in practice. Um, again, that's. That's one data point, I guess, is probably the nicest way to say that. Um, but yeah, it's got to, they got to figure something else out. I think something that really they've struggled with is running the football in the red zone, and that's really hasn't opened things up for them. Um, I, I don't know how much of the playbook is in. Um, you, you just look at what, Kirk Chirac has done in his last couple of stops and throw that video in and, and you would think that not very much, um, you know, has been put in and, you know, you talk about the implementation, everything like that. It's really shown up in the red zone. That's really, really the biggest point. So uh, those fades certainly need to come down. I won't say they need to get rid of them completely because you have had success with it. Even though people want to block that out of their minds, sometimes they have had success with it, but uh, you, you need more diversity in the red zone. I think that's actually the words that, that Franklin used on Tuesday is is figuring some things out. Uh, you don't have Pat Frymuth. That's certainly going to factor into things um, when talking about how to use uh, how to use your weapons in the red zone. Um, but yeah, it's got to be more diverse. You got to be able to run the ball and open everything else up and, and sort of hope that you can get in from there. Um, now, the, the, running the ball and opening things up was was something that you mentioned earlier. It's something that, that James Franklin has talked about over the course of the season. And when you can't get the ground game going, it really restricts what you're able to do. You know, then you toss in the turnover issues, and, and it's a whole conundrum of how to approach things when the field gets shorter at the doorstep of the goal line. Um, you know, something he talked about quite a bit in the press conference, got a couple mentions during a couple different answers, I believe, was being able to establish more of a play-action pass. Yeah, not, not something we've seen 
much from this team. Uh, what would appear to be if you got a guy like Kevon Lee, the way he runs forward and, and and kind of the way you need to meet him at the line of scrimmage, you're going to get guys coming downhill defensively. Can you exploit that? No Pat Fryermuth that takes out a weapon, but we like what they have in that tight end room. Um, and and I think, you know, you're, we're starting to see a little bit more, if Michigan's any indication, a little bit more comfort level of this team attacking the middle of the field, which I think is a, a nice step forward uh, if they want to be able to take this passing game beyond where where it has been. I think a guy that you can look at and maybe hasn't had a big role to date at all, but looked has looked good in the last couple of weeks is Theo Johnson. I think that's a guy that you can really, you know, sit in the middle of your defense. He's been open a couple of times that they've missed him, um, not necessarily that he was, you know, in in the progression or anything like that, but you know, he's he he's gotten himself open, he's played physical, he's done some nice things, and I think he's shown a lot of promise as to what they they think he can be over the next couple of years. So I think Theo Johnson could be somebody that maybe over these last two games you start to see them working him in a little bit more and, and see, see what happens there. Also, Parker Washington can be a guy that's effective in there. I think when you talk about what you're trying to do, I mean, it's going to be a number situation. You're going to read how many guys are in the box, and obviously everything gets tighter in the red zone. You still flip that out to him on the outside, gain a couple yards, maybe get that defender out of the box, and then maybe you can run the ball. So I think it, uh, a couple of those young guys, and, and we see uh, things moving and matriculate, matriculating in that in that direction for the young guys, but I think Johnson and Washington can be two guys that can really help them out. And I know you don't try to put too much pressure on the young guys in the red zone, but I think those are two guys that can probably handle what you're trying to throw at them if you're trying to to put six on the board instead of three. And Washington, what you love about him, and it's something that that has been lacking from this Penn State receiver position. It's something that we've been pressing for with some of the more marquee members of this group over the last few years under different leadership in that room is the assertiveness, the, 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 the willingness to go grab that contested football, have that mindset. Parker Washington has exhibited that week in, week out. I think with, with it just becomes more apparent uh, when you watch him go get that football in, in some of these uh, matchups at, at Michigan um, and, and in weeks prior. I mean, you just love to see that out of a kid who is playing, going through his first campaign at the college level. Uh, Taylor Stubblefield thinks this kid could someday be the best route runner in the Big Ten. So you, you have that, and then you have the aggressiveness um, when, when the football is in the air. It just it's an it, that was an issue for Penn State. I know people have pointed to some drops, and drops were an issue in, in in the past for Penn State. But the biggest kind of overlying theme for this unit to me during struggles in, in eighteen and nineteen was just a lack of overall alpha mentality that you're going to go against the cornerback when the ball's in the air. You're going to get your hands on it. You're going to rip it down. You're seeing a change in that this year, I think, across the board. Yeah, I think so. And and I think that, you know, Washington has sort of set it up. I think he can be a guy that you're, you're talking about record book type guys when you're talking about volume, ton of targets as, as a true freshman. And, and really his game sort of translates well to kind of what Stubblefield used to do at Purdue. I mean, you catch the ball toward the line of scrimmage and, and you can make things happen. So I think, uh, you know, the future still looks pretty bright with him. Would like to see Keandre Smith Lambert, or excuse me, Keandre Lambert Smith. I haven't done that yet this year. Um, to try and work himself in a little bit more. And I know that that, that side of the field really have, they haven't gone to him as much, but uh, still he's shown some nice things and, and really two guys that are probably playing above their experience level right now with, the, with uh, uh, Lambert Smith and Parker Washington. So excited about what that brings to, uh, brings to play. I think, Again, I think Taylor Stubblefield's done a heck of a job this year. And I know he kind of got off on a rocky start in the recruiting side of things. And basically, that's all we had to judge him for. But in terms of receiver production, I don't think you can be too mad with uh, what you're getting from Stubblefield. And we have already said... 
take a look at the recruiting trail. If, if you thought there was a reputation attached to Taylor Stubblefield that he couldn't get it done on the recruiting trail, he's been dispelling that a bit for Penn State. And he's got to get to signing days with some of these guys in, in both the 21 and 2022 classes. But uh, a lot to like about what this room will be adding down the road as well, in addition to what they have. Um, I think the, the big tipping point for this group going into 2021 is, is what does Jahan Dotson do with the opportunities that may be at his disposal. But regardless, Parker Washington showing a lot a, a lot of bright flashes so far in his career. Uh, eight catches against Maryland, five against Nebraska, nine against Michigan. Um, and, and he caught a touchdown, let's not forget, that would have been remembered a, a lot more. He caught a touchdown in, in overtime on the road in his first career college game. So a guy that Penn State has looked to with confidence uh, through the first portion of his college career. Sean, over at the recruiting trail, as I just referenced it, uh, 2021 signing day, a couple weeks away. Um, it's been really tough to read. I don't know if you've picked up on this, a lot of angst on social media, not the normal recruiting angst too, which we're accustomed to on an annual basis. This is like heartstring stuff where kids are legitimately kind of venting, like how am I supposed to make a college decision when I'm just, when I just have not seen these colleges, I don't know what, what schools to really trust. Where am I, how am I supposed to do this? And you see people pleading to the NCAA and, and some of them get retweets and they go a little bit viral, but man, we're in a situation now where like it or not, Penn state and every other program, you're going to have to sign guys that you have not hosted on campus that you really may not have a tremendous feel for who they are and who their family is. And I, we've talked about this really throughout 2020 and, and how that can work to your detriment, but you know, it's staring you in the face right now, and, and is there any more uh, apparent nature of, of what's happening than Penn State putting out an offer uh, to Victory Vaca out of California, a defensive tackle who was committed to Texas A&M, and now he's talking about this Penn State offer. Uh, it's all over the map, man. It's all over the map. It's all over the map. The Victory Vaca recruitment's all over the map to begin with. This is a guy that's very, uh, fairly prominent, was big into uh, A&M, and A&M kind of moved on from him. And that's uh, one of the situations that I think you're going to see uh, more often down the stretch for a lot of schools that, you know, maybe weren't completely sold on taking a guy, but they thought that it was the right time to do so. And Victory Vaca seems to be an, an example of that. He's got a great offer list, but I would disregard that for the most part. I think Penn State uh, came in and tried to just, just just get into the conversation with him. Maryland also offered this week. He's kind of all over the map, not sure when he's going to sign, and that'll be an interesting development with, with some of these guys as well. You're talking about guys that haven't visited these colleges, haven't gotten a chance to interact with the, the, the staffs on campus. Well, now all of a sudden, these staffs are going to want them to sign in December, and that might not just be on the table or might not be in the cards for, for some of these prospects, and we'll see what happens if they decide to say, Hey, I want to take it out to February. See what happens. See where the where it is when the dust settles. And that's going to be another interesting subplot to this 2021 cycle that's been completely just jam full of interesting subplots. So, um, Victory Vodka, I'm not sure what what really comes of that. I mean, what can you say about you know you're going to offer a kid uh, all the way across the country? It's one thing for some of these guys like Deshaun Morell, who've been talking to for a long time um, in Alabama, and they, you know, I think they've got a couple new offers out in Alabama. Uh, that's a trip that you can conceivably make. Um, is Victory Vaca going to take it upon himself to, to fly across the country or, or or do a huge road trip or something like that? I don't know. So it's going to be very interesting coming down the stretch. Um, we'll, we'll see where Penn State stands. I, I, again, uh, this 2021 cycle, more about the guys they've missed than the guys they've gotten. But there's uh, you know still some targets out there that they can try and work around 
um, and try and figure out how it's all going to come together. Um, the good news, I guess, from that is you, you don't have a ton of space and, you know, it's probably better for Penn State right now because, you know, they don't have a ton of, uh, of prospects out there. So we'll see what happens. I mean, Vaca, I, I, I just, it's just a really interesting situation because you're talking about a guy that's, Six one, six two, three fifty. I mean, probably just a three four nose all the way, um, but still has uh, has some talent. He's he's he got onto the radar very early. Um, had you know, I think Florida was after him hard, Texas A and M after him hard, but things have kind of quieted down a little bit. So just one of those case studies where you know, kind of the further you're away from somebody, it's you know, it, it changes things in the recruitment. So uh, I don't know where this one's going to stand. I mean, we talked to Vaki, seemed interested, but that's uh, you know probably what you're going to get at this stage in in, in the game. With those measurements, Sean, seems like a very clear candidate for someone you want in front of you on your home turf and be able to evaluate how they move around and, and what kind of athleticism they possess. It's a, it's a big guy um, and, and, and not really, you know, that, that, that's a gamble. I mean, it's, it's, and, and they're going to have to take some. I'm, I'm, the, the Penn State is not going to be alone in taking some, some gambles here toward the end. And I also have, will say I think we're going to see just more – more interesting storylines in place after the early signing period. I just have to imagine, even without the the ability to take official visits in January, we're still going to see players and their parents, probably more importantly, decide to push pause um, and 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 keep it rolling. At least in January, you won't have coaches preoccupied by trying to manage a hundred person roster in a global pandemic. You know, their life is still going to be trouble because they're always managing that roster whether it's the season or not but you'd imagine there'll be more room to 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 go a little bit more in depth virtually and i can't imagine how frustrating that virtual process is on both ends of the equation but uh that's where it stands and and again it's happening for the 2021 class right now but the 2022 class sean the kids who they may have played their junior year this fall many of them did not have a junior year this fall they got to go back to the spring of their sophomore year and they don't know if they're going to be able to get on a campus before their senior year of high school. So it's it's really difficult to read any tea leaves. And if you've noticed from our conversations on this podcast and our coverage, the tea leaves have not always been uh, of the utmost accuracy that we've been accustomed to over recent years. Well, you don't get these guys on campus. You don't get to interact with them. You know, you don't get a lot of the the personal feels that you get, uh, you know, in a typical scenario. And I will take this back to Vaca. I'll take it back. You can, you can say this for 2021, 22, 22, anything like that. An offer, and it sounds stupid. An offer doesn't mean that you're going to want the kid, you know, that, and that sounds pretty cold to say it like that, but you got to be in the conversation. And I think that's really what an offer has become. Um, you know, you've got, you, you've got 200 and some offers out in the 2022 class already. And obviously you're not going to take, uh, you know, maybe, a large percentage of those guys. I don't know what off the top of my head where that would be takes right now, but uh, it's just a very interesting scenario where an offer kind of means less than ever. Um, and, you know, you just got to be in the game. And that's something that you look at the 2022 class, you see a guy like Nair Graham, who puts out a top five of Maryland, Miami, Nebraska, Penn State, and Syracuse. Um, he's a linebacker from Camden, uh, New Jersey. But you know, you haven't had this kid on campus. He's he's listed at six foot one, one ninety five. Is he closer to six foot? Is he closer to one hundred and seventy five pounds? You know, it's just it's one of those things where, in a typical scenario, you would get him on campus. You'd be able to size him up. You'd be able to look at him um, in your building and see, okay, does that frame? Does he have a frame where he can play at two hundred twenty five pounds? Um, no, okay. Well, then you got to move on to the next guy. You haven't been able to do that. And it's interesting because some of these twenty two kids are 
seems so antsy to make a decision. And I know Penn State's, you know, certainly been a, benef- uh, a benefactor of that because of the, the way that they've started in the 2022 trail. But you see um, really interesting positions that schools or coaching staffs are being put into, players are being put into, and it's really not fair to anybody. You already saw it in, yeah, actually out of Camden with a guy like Amari Clark as a wide receiver possibly an outside linebacker who's committed to Maryland. Well, he came out and said he wanted to make a decision. It seemed like he wanted to commit to Penn State. Penn State's like, eh, tap the brakes here. And then he ends up committing to Maryland anyway. So it's it, it's really an interesting scenario on both sides of the, of the aisle because, you know, scholarships are so valuable for, for the kid and scholarship spa- spaces are so valuable for the coaching staff. You got to do your research. You got to, you know, sort, sort of figure out what you have, sort of figure out what the player has and how he can develop over the next couple of years and without seeing those guys on campus without getting these true measurables or seeing them in camp or testing them you know seeing how fast they actually are there's a lot that goes into that and you're going to see some some break tapping all over the country on 2022 kids that think they're ready to make a decision whether they not whether they are or not is probably a different conversation but those staffs are they ready to take them and that's uh that's an interesting proposition right there there's a tightrope walk going on across college football and something tells me that tightrope walk is going to continue when you actually get these guys on campus break the ice a little bit more and think this is not necessarily the athlete and or person that we thought we were signing. Whereas on the other side, this is not necessarily the coaching staff and or university that I envisioned when I signed with you without ever actually checking it out first person. And we started seeing that in the 2021 class already, you know, flip season, all that kind of stuff. And we expected a big flip season once these kids were able to take visits. Now they're not going to be able to do that until mid-April. And now all of a sudden it's just like, okay, well, there's still going to be some sort of flip season because, you know, number one, you look at, I think Arizona State dropped three kids. Uh, you know, I saw this week Liberty dropped a kid from Pennsylvania just because they don't have the scholarship numbers for for two cycles for now or something like that. Something Coaches like were that. anticipating flip season as much as we were, right? So they said, all right, we'll load up now. And then- and it'll all work itself out. Right, no. right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, you know, I heard a story and this is a kid that was committed to a, a school not in the Big Ten, but this kid was, uh, you know, listed at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and they found out he's 6'2 and a half, 6'3". And, you know, he's all the way across the country. You didn't get a chance to get him into into your building. Uh, and now all of a sudden, this is not the player that you thought you were recruiting. And it's not fair. But at the same time, it's I would I would argue it's better for the kid that he found out, you know, that, that wasn't, you know, really the, the opportunity that he thought it was. Um, save himself a year or two before he get into the portal. So maybe I mean, he's doing it's just, some really impressive stretching, chiropractic. So he thought maybe he could add the get there by the time he enrolled. I have no I, idea what a kid's well, thinking when I mean, he's trying to were, do that. You've worked in a recruiting office before you it's know so these, prevalent. these high so school prevalent. coaches you know i've been up to six six i mean i've obviously not <laughs> six six but like these high school coaches are doing anything to make their players more attractive yeah. to uh to coaches and when you can't double check and when you can't you know run these these checks and balances i mean that's uh th- that leaves for some awkward scenarios and that's i think what we're going to see we're going to see um schools jettison some players we're going to see some some hard feelings on social media and things like that but i think it's just going to be part of the process. And it, it, you know, it feels kind of scummy saying that, but that's really the way it has worked out. And that's, uh, I, I think, and I'm not going to say both sides are to blame, but both sides have a hand in it. Yeah. I mean, the, the backdrop of the global pandemic is ultimately to blame, but it's, it's, I think you're setting up for 
what should be one of the more, if not the most motivated incoming freshman class of college football players that we have ever seen. It also may be uh, some of the least polished because many of them missed out on their senior year. Many of them missed out on a ton of practice time at the end of their year, and you just wonder what are coaches going to actually be bringing in next year. Uh, we're going to learn a lot, and uh, it's going to happen fast because we're only about two and a half weeks away from the, the college football signing period coming and going. We're going to ramp up our recruiting coverage here. We're going to dive more into the uh, the actual players who are committed. It's been a pretty consistent list of Penn State commits for some time now, uh, but uh, I'm actually going to, after this podcast, uh, check in with the recruit. I think we'll, we'll probably be having some uh, some very interesting news that Penn State fans will be uh, happy to check out here in, in the next little while. So a little bit of a teaser there, but you know, it's 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 a good time. You may not be happy with how the uh, the process finished for this Penn State class, but it's also a good time to spotlight who they are actually bringing on board because we have spent a lot of time spotlighting on who is not going to be part of this class. We're going to reverse those roles and 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 spend these next few weeks, uh, you know, kind of casting a larger light on the incoming group of freshmen, some of which, by the way, Sean, they'll be here in like five or six weeks. It happens fast. It happens fast. Signing day is a couple of weeks away. I mean, it's just, it feels like way know, different. The, it's the way middle different. of the season. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot more time that's going on. And, you know, there, there's obviously targets still out there to, to try and close on, but it's just, uh, it's all going to crunch up, especially when you, I mean, they're going to get done their season and just, yeah, that's going to be it. I mean, you're going to have to go into that winter break, uh, you know, where, where you're shut down. And I don't think that's going to change much because you can't visit anyway. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks leading up to, uh, you know, just kind of some quiet time that, that no junior days, is, you know, yep. there's no midwinter junior day. That's going to be a, some kind of launch pad. I don't know how teams are going to make this move at the finish line there. You're not getting that. All right. We locked this kid in for an official visit. He'll be here for a couple of days, two weeks shy of signing day. This is the move. You know, we got to make the move with his mom. She's got to buy into what we've selling educate. I know. I know. I heard it. I heard it <laughs> right away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, at least there's actual tangible things you can do in a typical final stretch to the signing period where you finally get the full family on campus and you can sell them what you've got going on. I don't know. I, I, my worry is there's going to be a lot of false promises. There's always false promises floated around in recruiting. My worry is that there's going to be more of that sales pitching going on from certain programs across the country and Kids may make some decisions based on that that are not well advised or well informed, and that's going to set up a really interesting, uh, you know, way that we're going to see rosters built, and then potentially rosters fall apart pretty quickly in the next. 18 months in college football, but uh, we'll have more time to talk about recruiting in, in, in the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll dive into it deeper as, as signing day comes around. We spent a lot of times on this podcast the last month and a half talking about Penn State losses and, and all that stuff. So it, it's a nice little bit of a, of a veer off that path and talking about the future, um, which is always a bit more promising um, before we find out that some of these guys aren't as good as they, we thought they were going to be and or as good as the Penn State staff was going to be. Hope springs eternal uh, until that happens. So, Sean, mailbag time. Bigger issue for James Franklin. And we'll jump right into this one. Is it game management or is it player development? You know, this is one that I think we've had on the list for a couple of weeks and we just haven't been able to, to give the time necessary for it. Um, because, and, and it's such a big situation because I think that the answer kind of changes every week. Uh, when you look at situations like, you know, spiking it on first down inside the five, when you've got a timeout, you've got a minute to work with, you know, the, the game management things just keep popping up and, you know, 
are they an every week thing? Maybe not, but they're so there's such a microscope on these key situations. I remember thinking about uh, you know the situation in the Cotton Bowl, the uh, you know just before the halftime where you you know essentially gift Memphis three points, and you think, okay, you know, is this a team that can turn around and make them pay for that? Obviously, it did not end up going in that direction, but it just seems to pop up all that too all, all too often. Um, for me. I, I go back to player development because I think the biggest issue right now, especially in in this uh, you know in this scenario that we're living in right now, is is quarterback development, and that's been an, an issue for a couple of years now. You know, love Trace McSorley, love what he brought to the table, and you know, got them on the doorstep of you know, got them a Big Ten title, got them on the doorstep of the playoff. Um, but when you're talking about you know development throughout their careers, you know, was he much better a, as a senior than he was as, as a redshirt sophomore in 2016? Not all that much. And I think that's probably the thing that when you take a look at what can get your program to the next level, quarterback development is that. And, uh, you know, whether it's your guy, whether it's a, a, a portal guy, as we've seen with Justin Fields, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. But you got to press that guy into, into getting you to that next level. And I think that's been the scenario that's really held Penn State back over the last couple of seasons. They've had a ton of talent at spots. I mean, you just look at how talented that, that 2016, those 2017 rosters were. I mean, 2017, as if we have to say it, again uh, as a team that probably should have pressed a lot harder for that playoff spot um, but uh, yeah it's quarterback development and I think that that you know you you've had good player development at, at certain spots and there's been you know you, you leave some to be desired at spots like safety and you know I, you just it's uh, offensive line is obviously in there they made a change this year hoping that they would take the next step and you know it's just kind of all over the place you've got some some spots that they developed really well and then you've got some spots that you know maybe not have have not been as high on the list and really the game situations if you if you develop them, if you you know develop the team of uh, our roster as talented as you think it can get and max out that talent development, those game situations will sort of begin to take care of themselves a little bit more often. And I think that's what we saw over Penn State's uh, stretch where they had the most success is that that player development sort of uh, you know brushed some of that game management stuff under the rug. So I'm going to go with player development just because the quarterback is so big in the college game right now. And really, I think that that really can, can lift everything up. And as I said, sort of masks some of the deficiencies, including the game management that he's had. And it's, and it's not been great. You know, let's be, let's not be honest. I mean, these are both issues for James Franklin, but at the same time, player development, the, I mean, better rosters. This is the whole, um, you know, women's college basketball type thing. Uh, when you've got the better players, it's going to take care of a lot of things. And I think that that's uh, really at, uh, with James Franklin's tenure. I think that's really where you need to, 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 to keep looking at. We, talked about Micah Parsons being like a mistake eraser and, and that doesn't necessarily apply to just the 10 defensive teammates around him on the field. It also applies to, to the guys that are formulating the game plan um, and, and putting this defense into design and in motion for the matchup and what a guy like that can do uh, to kind of, uh, you know, put a canvas <laughs> atop of some other things that otherwise might seem more glaring and maybe have been more glaring, certainly have over the course of this 2020 year. But there's no spot in college football, perhaps uh, really across sports, maybe, maybe running into a hot pitcher in game seven, but a mistake eraser at quarterback is such a rare commodity and you see teams though they will not play their best football but then you'll look at the stat line of that quarterback and you'll understand why they survived or you'll see the quarterback make some key throws on third and long situations or or scramble and buy time now we saw Trace McSorley 
you know, certainly come up with, with some some plays that, that elevated this offense beyond where it otherwise would have been. Um, but I think you make a valid point. I didn't cover Trace in 2016. I wasn't covering the team yet, but I covered them in 2017 and 2018. I, I think it's a very fair thing to say um, that, that while there was the offensive coordinator transition in, in those years, Trace McSorley didn't end his career playing his best football at Penn State. Uh, I know people certainly understand that was the case with, with Christian Hackenberg. We saw what happened with his NFL career, though. You know How much of that was on the coaching staff? How much of that was maybe Hackenberg coming in with five-star accolades that just didn't pan out? But he did what he did as a freshman under Bill O'Brien, and, and then we saw how he finished as a junior uh, under James Franklin's guidance. And So I, I think when, you, when we look at, at that position, it's always going to be glaring. Here in 2020, though, I think the answer has to be player development, and some of that you're taking out of the coach's hands because the development hasn't been on the field for much of this year. So I think if we're looking at what's plugging Penn State in 2020, it's got to be player development. Just the you know the offensive line. How important maybe it was it for that group than than any other on the field perhaps to not have contact opportunities over the course of the entire first you know nine months of this calendar year under new leadership where it's a, it's been a lot of talk about a major kind of mental shift in how you approach your duties as an offensive lineman. Um, you know, I think player development this year is the right answer, but you know, the game management stuff rears its head. And, and in the past, Penn State losses have been very narrow. This year, that, that has changed up a bit. We've seen Penn State get drubbed. But in recent years, when they've lost two games or three games or even four games of the year, the Citrus Bowl, they, they got beat up by Michigan on the road. But they had the ball with a chance to go win the game or tie the game in just about every other loss for like a three or four game stretch. Um, so that does put a spotlight on game management. Um, and, and by the way, Sean, that 2016 Big Ten title game, a lot of future NFL players but if we're buying into the, the talent composite and all that stuff, a lot of former three stars, a lot of former three stars playing roles on that team. This is the top ranked team in terms of blue chip ratio, uh, blue chip composite score, whatever you want to call that here that Penn State has had. And, and yet the result was an 0-5 start. And you take out Noah Kane, Journey Brown, Micah Parsons off the top before you really get rolling. That's going to put a dent in that score. Uh, but I think player development has to be in the spotlight here for, for 2020. Yeah, I think so. And and you can add Pat Fryermuth to that list. And what that's what, four of your top eight players, nine players, something like that. That sounds about right to me. Got something to do with it. Um, but one thing you, you said, and I want to go back on, I was talking to a, a college coach last week and trying to figure out what is the deal with Penn State's defense? Because, you know, you couldn't really wrap it around one type, one type of thing. He said, look at that defense. And if you're an opposing offensive coordinator, who are you, who are you game planning around? Who are you running away from? Who are you, who are you accounting for on every play? Obviously, that guy was Micah Parsons when you're, you know, thinking of coming into the season. Well, he's not there. I mean, do that right now. Look at who you're going to account for every play. You're almost flipping that on its head and saying, okay, here's who I can go after every play. Obviously, linebacker is not a strength. And that's been something, you know, Michigan was actually having some success going right up the middle and going at, right at Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucetta this week. So, I mean, and then they went away from it for, more, for whatever reason. But you're kind of flipping that on its head. Nobody scares you on this defense. You're not running away. I mean, you you know, you can obviously run away from a defensive end. Jason Away, you know, as as we've said, is I think played better than the stats will show. Um, you're running away. You know, Shaka Tony has, has the stats. I mean, it's just it, it's really interesting on this defense because nobody's going to clean up those messes and nobody, you know, you've got Micah Parsons playing outside linebacker. Okay, that's almost cutting your offense in half. I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously an over-dramatization, but at the same time, 
you have to account for him on every single play. You don't have to do that this year. And that's really what we've seen is, you know, you're opening up that whole field. You know, teams have had, Maryland had a lot of success, you know, just spreading that ball all, all, all over the field. So um, that's been the biggest issue for me is, is you know, that, that goes back to player development. I think that goes back to, you know, having your your home run hitter on offense, Journey Brown, your, your big play guy on defense, Micah Parsons. Um, you know, there are teams out there and the teams that are rising to the top right now have those you know, big, big play guys. And Penn State just really hasn't had that. And I think that that's really the root of the issue for that 0-5 start, the, you know, the 1-5 season right now is, you know, you're you're lacking dudes. And that's, uh, you know, might be overgeneralizing there, but you're lacking dudes on both sides of the ball and, you, and you're paying for it. And uh, that's 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 a kind of an unhappy marriage between game management and player development when you look at defense because the game manager there is your defensive coordinator, Brent Pry. And the player developer, well, he's your linebackers coach for, for these last uh, six, seven years. He's also the guy who's had a role in recruiting everybody. So he's he's been working in one way or another to develop these guys into Penn State difference makers. And this kind of ties back into what I asked you after the, uh, after the Nebraska game when they were halfway through the season. Who is your defensive MVP pick right now? Because that's not an obvious answer. That's kind of a different way of, of getting to the same conversation, though, there on defense without Micah Parsons involved. Uh, I think that's going to do it. We appreciate it. More five-star mailbag questions and answers coming your way in future episodes. Please contribute. Uh, give us some to, to, to choose between up on Apple Podcasts. We always appreciate it. There's been a nice run on those of late. Maybe the, the post-win questions will have a bit of a different tone, but at one in five, perhaps not. Uh, throw your recruiting questions there as well. We're always happy to dive into those. Sean, anything else to add as we wrap things up and the sun sets and it gets dark at quarter to five uh, on, a, on a Tuesday afternoon in State College? Not really, not really. Just uh, we'll get into Rutgers later this week. Obviously, uh, you've got a conversation coming up where you're kind of teasing that and definitely check it on the site. I'm think I'm sure uh, Penn State fans will like it. Um, but no, that's sh- that should be just about it. As I said, that uh, that that question was one that I circled a couple of weeks ago, and we just kind of never got to it. We've been running long on the on these things, and I wanted to give it a little bit more time. So we appreciate questions like that. I know you know some of these questions may be inherently negative, but I think that they're questions worth asking, and that certainly was a, a good mailbag question so we appreciate uh you sending that along sean you got about 48 hours to to put together your best one-liners that you have not used yet regarding my alma mater because it's Rutgers week and we turn our attention to the scarlet knights in just a bit um that conversation coming your way here on lines 24 7 podcast we'll have an analyst who covers the Rutgers uh to give us the lowdown on where the momentum has come from and and what this matchup may look like uh, for penn state stay with us as always go check out the coverage on lines 247.com we'll be back with another pregame edition of the podcast later this week okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, 
There's joy in every journey.